Our scripture is Psalm 119, verses 25 to 32. Psalm 119, verses 25 to 32. Verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me, and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. I cleave to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our prayer is that we will cleave to your word. We will cling to it. We will attach ourselves to it permanently. Lord, we know that you cause faith, you cause repentance. You bring that about by your grace. And we pray, Father, that we will be fully and wholly committed to this, that we will manifest good fruit in our life and desire, especially the knowledge of you through the word of God. Lord, these are words of life, and we pray that our commitment will be renewed and we will be fully committed to this word. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in this series on Psalm 119, we know we are dealing with the Word of God, but it is necessary occasionally to remind ourselves how important it is to have our minds wrapped around the Word of God, immersed in the Word of God, and for our life to cling to this Word of God. The Scriptures say the following. In Hosea chapter 4, Listen to the Word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. Because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. Verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Hosea 6.6. 6. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Hosea 8, 12. Though I wrote for him 10,000 precepts of my law, yet they are regarded as a strange thing. Hosea 14, 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. But transgressors will stumble in them. It's very clear that the prophet Hosea tells us, tells Israel first, but also us, we who belong to God, that we should have the knowledge of God. It should not be foreign for us to know God. And it should not be strange and obscure for us to know God through the word of God, as Hosea has said. We ought to know him through his word. Even we who claim to be Christians, even we who come to church, and in Christianity, generally speaking, we have this problem. The problem of ancient Israel is the problem of the modern church. The modern church pretends to think that they know God and that they can please God 
without the knowledge of God through the Word of God. This is what is asserted. There are many people, and even pastors, pastors of big churches who say, it's unnecessary for you to insist, it's unnecessary for us to insist that you know the Bible and that you use the Bible, that you understand the Bible, that you have wisdom in your life from the Bible, that you should follow the Bible, and that everything that you do should conform to the Bible. They, in fact, preach against it. They, in fact, disparage it. They ridicule it. And they accuse the people who want to know God through the Word of God as being presumptuous, arrogant, haughty, and proud. This is what they accuse these people of doing. The people who sincerely want to know God through the Word of God. When in fact, they are the ones who are proud, presumptuous, haughty, full of hubris, all kinds of sin and corruption. It is they who are, even the pastors who preach and teach that way. They are the ones who have no knowledge of God. They are the ones who are leading the people all astray in the nation. They are the ones doing that and they will come across the severe judgment of God. James 3.1, Let many of you, my brethren, not become teachers, for as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. They will undergo, just like the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're talking just like the scribes and the Pharisees, they will undergo a stricter judgment. But what should we do? How should we look at this as Christians? As Christians, we who claim Christ and follow Him, claim to follow Him, what should our view be? Should not our view be just like Jesus' view? Should we not view the Bible just like Jesus viewed the Bible? How can we claim to be Christians and not look at the Bible and look at the things of God contrary to the way Jesus did or not the way Jesus did? How is it possible for us to claim His name but to be living a life that's so foreign to the name of Christ? And in particular, our relationship to the Word of God. Jesus said, Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. If His words will not pass away, should we not know what they say? Should we not do what He tells us? Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say, why do you not do what I say, he said. He expects us with this permanent and eternal word that he's given to us for us to do what it says. And how can we do what it says if we don't know what it says? And in fact, the day of judgment awaits if we don't know what it says. Mark 8, Jesus speaks. Mark 8, 34. And he summoned the multitude with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus makes this a matter of life and death. Why, why should you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? 
What will you give in exchange for your soul? He asks. And then he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words. And my words. Everyone wants the name of Christ to be attached to themselves. But few want the words of Christ to be attached to themselves. Few want to know what he says and obey what he says. Few want him as Lord and Master. Few want to call Christ Master. Few want to consider themselves slaves of Christ. I will do whatever comes out of your mouth, Lord Christ. Few want to do that. But Jesus says, if one is ashamed of him and his words, so the two have to comport. Christ and the words of Christ have to agree. There needs to be this harmony between Christ and his words. We cannot say we want Christ, but not his words. And if we do, we are an adulterous and sinful generation. And the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When he comes, he will, he will mete out vengeance, flaming fire with the holy angels who will carry out his will. Therefore, no one who claims Christianity can be alienated from the Word of God. He must consider his relationship to the Word of God. He must know it. He must believe it. He must obey it according to the words of Christ. So, in this way, this is how righteous David, King David, the prophet, speaks and prays in Psalm 119. This is what he desires. He knows Christ. He's saved by the power of Christ's grace and death on the cross for his sins. He believes in Christ. He knows of Christ. And he wants to know more and more of Christ. This is the behavior. This is the proper and natural response of all those who know Christ. The way he prays in Psalm 119. Let's begin at verse 25. 119.25 My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. He expresses here how his soul, his being, cleaves to the dust. It is near death. It is susceptible to death. It is in misery. It needs God. He acknowledges his rightful state apart from God. He knows he is nothing and worthless and corrupt and deathly and fatal. He all, all, that's all he has. He is near death or he has the sentence of death upon him. And the only thing that can change him is right here. The grace of God by the word of God. Revive me. Give me life according to your word. The word of God promises this. The word of God from God, from the Spirit of God and the Word of God together, working gives life. This is what we need to hear. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. We believe in the Gospel truly by the Word of Christ. And the Spirit uses the Word to produce a child of God. And not only does the Spirit use the Word to produce a child of God, but also to sanctify the child of God. To continue in the new man, in the new spirit, in the new heart, to transform and reform this person who has now believed the true gospel, who is now made alive together with Christ. The Spirit 
and the Word. And this is what life consists of. This is the way we ought to look at ourselves. How many of us look at life like this? Look at ourselves, by ourselves, as miserable, feeble, fickle, filthy. How many of us look at ourselves that way? That we are that way. We, our souls, are full of maggots. How many of us look at, uh, at ourselves that way? We cleave to the dust. That's what happens to a corpse. That's what happens to a corpse or a carcass. Eventually, the maggots take it over and consume it. What happens? Do we consider ourselves that way? So much that are we that way that we need revival. We need life. We need, uh, ju- we need jubilation and revivification. We need life. We need it only from God. So we should pray to God. Revive me according to your word. Your word promises it. Your word tells me how I should look. That I was dead. Where I practiced the deeds of the flesh. Now I practice the fruit of the spirit. Give me life. I need this life. I want it to radiate in me and through me and everywhere I go. I want this. Plead with God for life. Plead with Him for grace. Plead with Him for revival. Verse 26. I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Here he expresses that he has declared to God everything about himself. Everything that he knows. Everything he's conscious of. Everything he has explained it to God. He has not hidden anything from God. He does not do things in a dark corner. He's not secret. He does not keep things in his mind that he does not present to God as a confession for his sins. He doesn't do any of that. He says, I have told of my ways. He declares his ways to God and God answers him. He doesn't hold back. He explains everything to God. This is who I am. You know who I am. You are omniscient, knowing everything. You are omnipotent, having all power. And you are omnipresent, being present everywhere. You are this way. This is why God is unique. One reason why God is unique compared to us. Why we pray to Him. Why He is God. And why we ought to submit ourselves to Him. Tell God of everything, as David did here. Tell Him, and then He will answer. And then he will answer. When he answers, he will answer favorably. When he answers, he will answer in order to revive us, and in order to bless us, and in order to conform us to the image of Christ. The fact that we must tell him and commit everything to him is stated in Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. Our problem? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't think that you are brilliant. Don't think that you are the best thing that ever happened to the planet. Don't think in that way. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. This is the way we ought to consider ourselves. Acknowledge everything to God. Put everything before God. And have Him answer us 
favorably. We, I say favorably because James says, you do not have because you do not ask. But the problem is, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. You may spend it on your pleasures. This is what James says, and even John, John the Apostle says, 1 John 5, 14, And this is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. We can have confidence when we declare everything to God, and we declare these things according to the Word of God, the will of God, which is in the Word of God, we can have confidence that He will hear us. As David says, and you have heard me, you have answered me, you have given me what I desire. We want knowledge of God, we want righteousness, we want forgiveness of sins, we want guidance and wisdom, we want to overcome our sins, we want to deal with temptation, then we need to plead with God. We need to plead with Him and declare everything to Him, and He will answer us. Let him who thinks he stands... Take heed, lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Let him who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. The problem is, we think we're wise in our own eyes. The problem is, we think that we are the best thing that ever happened. That's our problem. We have incessant, we have stonish, stone-like pride within us. This is what needs to be beaten up. This is what needs to be shattered like the Word of God. Is not my word like fire and like a hammer which shatters a rock? God said, Jeremiah 23, 29. This is what we need to break us and to transform us to be like Christ. And then, when we pray like that, God will answer. He will answer us because we pray according to His will. When we pray according to His revealed will and ask God to answer us, he wants holiness in us. He wants the fruit of the Spirit in us. He wants these things in us. Therefore, He will not withhold those things. He will answer. And verse 26, the prayer says, Teach me your statutes. What does it take to make a man say to God, Teach me your statutes? He had to be brought low. He had to be humbled. He had to be humiliated. He had to come to his wit's end. For him to say, I am not wise. I am not the smartest. I cannot use whatever material possessions I have to get whatever I want and to do whatever I want, especially spiritual things, godly things, eternal and heavenly things. I cannot. I don't know. I'm nobody. I'm a nothing. I don't deserve anything from you. This is the kind of attitude that's required for us to say, teach me your statutes. One who is proud will not pray like this to God. One who is proud has already figured it out. One who is proud will not approach God this way. But we must approach God, approach Him this way. Isaiah 66 Isaiah 66, verses 1 and true, uh, one and 2. Heaven is my throne, thus says the Lord. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? 
And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. In other words, how are we going to please and appease God, make Him more happy? How are we going to add something to God? He is self-sufficient. We're not going to be able to do that. But God will delight in something, in us. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. God will regard, he will look upon with favor those who are humble, contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. This is what the prophet says by the word of the Lord. And those who are humble, contrite of spirit, who tremble at the word, are the kinds of people who will say, teach me. Teach me your statutes. Verse 27. Furthermore, they will say, make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. Furthermore, they not only want to be taught, but they want to understand more and more, and they know that their understanding is not within themselves. They have to seek for a foreign place, a place outside of themselves, for understanding. That's why the prayer is made to God. Make me understand. He knows that for him to understand the Bible, for his benefit, for his salvation, he must pray to God. He must have God make him understand it. He knows he must do so. He's not speaking here of knowing certain facts about the Bible. We can understand certain facts about the Bible. We can have certain knowledge about the Bible. Like the demons. James 2.19. You believe God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. We can know that the Bible teaches that there's only one true and living God. But that doesn't make us saved. It doesn't make us forgiven of sins. The demons know there's only one true and living God. And they know on the day of judgment they will be accountable to that God. That's why they tremble. And they don't want to be thrown into hell before the time. We know who you are, the Son of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? Before the time? They trembled in the presence of Christ. Matthew 8, 29. This is the way it is. This is that we can have, people can have certain knowledge of the facts. Just like demons. That there's one God. That Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross. That the Bible teaches He rose from the dead. That the Bible teaches He will return. That the Bible teaches He lived a perfect life. That the Bible teaches we must believe He died in our place. We can know all these things, factually speaking, but be unsaved. But be unsaved. This is, we may say, you are almost a Christian. You are almost a Christian. To borrow someone's phrase, you are almost a Christian. And that is a perilous place to be. That is a very dangerous place to be. Never be almost a Christian. Confirm, assure, make sure you're completely a Christian. You are in fact in Christ. Not barely or almost in Christ, but in Christ. It's your soul. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus said. It's your soul. Do you love yourself enough? Do you love yourself enough 
to care for your own soul in reference to its eternal destiny. That's why we should pray, make me understand. Make me understand, we can say that as an unbeliever, I want to know, I want to figure it out, I want to know more. Be like Cornelius. Cornelius, who was told to send for Peter, who will speak words to you by which you will be saved. Acts eleven fourteen. He was not saved, although before that, he was doing some good and religious things. He was praying to God continually, giving alms to the Jewish people, and he feared God. He was living a moral life, yet he was not saved. That's the kind of prayer we should pray. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. Now, it's not enough to pray to God, asking for God and the Spirit of God to make us understand His precepts, His Word. It's not enough for that to happen. But it has to happen according to what's in the Word. So I will meditate on your wonders. I will meditate, I will muse and reflect upon what is here in your word as you make me understand. The connection is between the spirit and the word. We must say this because there are many fanatics, many fanatics who are very headstrong and going straight into the pit of destruction because they say, God made me understand God helped me to figure this out. God gave me this wisdom. God told me. I prayed about it. I had a dream. I had a vision. They say things like that, that God spoke to them. But whatever is the content of that so-called oracle from God contradicts the Word of God, the precepts of God. And it causes the people not to meditate on the wonders of God in the Word. It causes them to be detracted from it, to go off the beaten path, to go to the right or to the left into a perilous ditch. That's wrong. That's wrong. We should never say, God told me when whatever the content of that declaration contradicts the Word of God. It should cause us, if we have any understanding of God, it should cause us to meditate on the wonders of God in the Bible. There should always be that. Whenever anyone says, the Spirit told me, and that Spirit contradicts the Bible, it is not the Holy Spirit. It is an evil spirit. It's demonic and devilish. Avoid it and don't obey it. Whatever it says, whether it says anything about God or the way that we ought to deal with our actions and treat one another, if anything contradicts the Bible, and causes us not to meditate on the Bible, on those issues, it's not from God. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Isaiah 8, 20. Further, he prays. Verse 28. David prays in verse 28. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. My soul weeps because of grief. This is similar to verse 25 
And perhaps here he is speaking of his trials in life, the temptations of life, the things that happen to him, whether it is the flesh or the world persecuting him or tempting him. He's saying that he has grief in his soul because of this. He grieves over the, the, the state of the, the situation. He wishes it were better. He wants to be delivered from it. He wants to be a victorious Christian. He wants to overcome so that he lives according to the Word of God. Here too, what is the resolution? What is the solution when we have hardships, afflictions, temptations that cause us grief? Pray to God and ask God, strengthen me according to your Word. Strengthen me according to your Word. The Word of God promises strength, promises power, promises comfort, promises hope. It promises these things. So we ought to ask God to help us according to His Word. Psalm 119.49. Psalm 119.49. Remember the word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. God's servant, God has made his servant hope in the word. And this is the comfort in his affliction, that the word of God revives him. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Romans 15, 4. Whatever was written here in the Old Testament, he says, in earlier times, was written for us, our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Perseverance, hope, encouragement comes from the Word of God. We cannot pretend to overcome our griefs with other means, by other means. It must come from the Word of God. This is also a common problem. A common problem we have is we don't go to the Word or to those who will tell us the Word. What we do to overcome grief, to overcome afflictions, to overcome temptations and hardships, we go to carnal and worldly and even demonic means to overcome instead of the Word. Here he wants to be strengthened according to the Word. Whatever the words promises, whatever the words means, whatever the words practices, the way to deal with it is by the Word. Be strengthened by the Word. Not by going to somebody who will tell you what you want to hear. Not by uh, consumption of, of products that will make you feel better temporarily and delude you into thinking that you can pass the time because of the consumption of certain things that are dangerous to your body. It's not even going and escaping. Escapism is very prevalent. Escapism. I'm just going to avoid the situation completely. I'm just going to watch this movie and it's going to take my mind off of everything. I'm just going to go do this activity, this hobby, and it's going to take my mind off of everything. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to go to God to it. I don't want to be strengthened by His Word. I don't want to deal with it the way the Word tells me to deal with it. Here, David doesn't do that. 
He says, strengthen me according to your word. This is what we should also do. We should desire to be strengthened by the word of God and not by false and pernicious means. False and pernicious or destructive means. We should not be doing so. Only by the word. Verse 29. Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. Remove the false way from me. David knows, just like every born-again person knows, that there is temptation. There is the possibility. There is the susceptibility that we will uh, abide by or imbibe something that is false. Something that's false in our thoughts. Something that's false in our words, our behavior. Something that's false about God. Something that's false about how we ought to live. Because we are bombarded. We have a megaphone going on all the time. all 24-7 you can have somebody shouting at you and trying to convince you and persuade you about what you should do. And he, David knows that he has to rid himself of everything that's false. So where does he go? He asks God for it. Remove the false way from me. He knows that he is susceptible to it and that he has to, through sanctification, through growth himself, overcome everything that's false in his mind and in his movements. Whatever it is, he knows that. So he prays to God, remove it from me. Remove it from me. Psalm 104, uh, Psalm 119, verse 104. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Verse 28, 128. Psalm 119, 128. Therefore I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. 158, verse 158. I behold the treacherous and loathe them because they do not keep your law. 163, verse 163. I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your law. Why is it that David prays in verse 29, remove the false way from me? From the other verses that we just read, he developed a hatred. He was convinced. He developed hatred. Not all hatred, biblically speaking, is wrong. He spoke of hating the false way. He hates it. He wants nothing to do with it. It is so bitter and miserable to him that he says, I hate every false way. This is my conviction now about those things that are wrong and contrary, untrue. I want nothing to do with them. Therefore, because he has developed that, he prays to God, remove the false way from me. But how did he come to know that this or that false way was false? He came to know it by the word of God. Because he says, Therefore I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. He had to be convinced that the word of God was right on everything it said. He had to come to that. And if the word of God is right then anything that contradicts the Word of God is false and wrong. 
I will not follow it. I will not esteem it. I will not pursue it. And then he prays. God, I see this. I see what your word says. I see what your word says about what's true. And I see what's false in me. Therefore, I pray. Remove the false way from me. Remove it from me. And graciously grant me your law. He's praying here for God's grace to be granted to him to conform to the law of God. That's what we need to do. That's what we need every day. Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. Each of these verses are wonderful prayers. Wonderful prayers to memorize. This is a wonderful prayer to memorize or to recite or to read at the beginning of the day. Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. This day, be gracious to me, Lord, and grant me conformity to your law. Produce in me good. Produce the fruit of the Spirit. Produce love of God and love of neighbor. Produce those kinds of things in me. Remove everything that's false in me because I need your grace. People who don't understand their rightful place before God don't pray like this. They won't ask God for grace. They'll just thank God that they're better than other people. And then they will, on the premise of their pride, go run and cling to whatever their fancies are. That's what they will do. They won't pray, graciously grant me your law. Yet, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Or James 1, 17. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. If every good thing comes from above, then why should we or could we imagine that we could be doing anything apart from the grace of God? The grace of God that saved us is the grace of God that sanctifies us. He also wants the law of God. The law of God. This is one of those terms for the Bible, for the scriptures, for the word of God that we don't like. When we hear those words law or commandment or statutes or ordinance, we cringe. We retract. We say, what is this? I don't want anything to do with law. I thought everything was about grace. Yes, it is about grace. But what does it say right here in verse 29? Graciously grant me your law. Grace leads to the law of God. They go together. They are inseparable. We need to keep them together. We cannot think that God's grace and God's law are to be separated. Grace gives us power to conform to God's law. But someone may say, but someone may say, what is this law? The Bible doesn't explain. And why, why should we insist that there is a law for Christians? Believers, those of us in the age of grace, we don't need law. The law is our tutor to lead us to Christ. And after that, we don't need it anymore. So get rid of it, many people say. However, the law that he means here is the Ten Commandments. 
And the law that the Apostle Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians 9, 21, the law of Christ is the Ten Commandments. He spoke of this also by implication in 1 Corinthians 7, 22, when he says that we were slaves of sin, but now we are free in Christ. And he also says that we are his slave. We are Christ's slave. So how does the slave obey his master? 1 Corinthians 7, 21. According to the law of Christ. According to the Ten Commandments. This is the law. And even James calls it the law of liberty. James 1, 25 and 2, 12. He says we ought to be looking at the law of liberty. Now why would he call it the law of liberty? Just as David did. David spoke of the same. David said, I shall walk in liberty, for I keep, for I seek your precepts. Psalm 119.45, I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. The liberty of the law of Christ is this enigma, this mystery, this miraculous thing that God has done. He has taken away the burdens of sin the wretchedness of sin. He has relieved us of those burdens and then He has placed the law of Christ upon us so that Christ says, My burden is easy and my load is light. My burden is easy and my load is light. What Christ means from Matthew eleven twenty-five 25 to 30, what He means there is that he takes away the burdens of sin, the wretchedness of sin, the filthiness of sin, and then he places upon us this light law, law of liberty, light load. He puts that upon us, and we have a new desire. We want to please God. We don't want to have any other God besides God. We don't want to worship idols. We don't want to take his name in vain. We don't want to... Uh, profane the Sabbath day. We don't want to dishonor our parents. We don't want to murder, commit adultery, steal, lie. We don't want to covet. We don't want to do that. We keep asking, Oh Lord, I don't want to do those things. Help me. And we are delighted. For the many times, David in this psalm, Psalm 119, he speaks of delighting in, loving in, doing God's will. This is the sense in which his word becomes the law of of liberty. We are liberated from sin, slavery to sin and the condemnation it brings and then we in liberty we have this joy and delight and zeal to do the will of God. David spoke of that in verse 45, 119:45, I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. This is the same as the New Testament. Verse 30 Verse 30. He comes now to his resolutions. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. I have chosen the faithful way. Notice, he says what he has done. Now, he does not mean that he did so based on his free will. We've already spoken of this in the earlier verses. We know that God changes the heart and gives us faith and repentance. Philippians 1.6, Philippians 1.29. For I'm convinced uh, of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. The scriptures are very clear with this, and David has already spoken of it, that he knows he is fully dependent upon the grace of God to change him and to grant him everything he needs for life and godliness. Faith, repentance, obedience, he needs God. However, he now speaks of having to choose the faithful way and place God's ordinances before him. He has to keep the faithful ways of God right in front of him, front and center. It has to be the center of his life. It has to mean everything to him to keep God's ways in front of him, his ordinances, everything that God says right in front. He does not go anywhere without access to the Bible. He does not speak Presume to speak a word without the Bible. Let him who speak, speaks, speak as it were the oracles of God. 1 Peter 4.11 He does not bring up and spout off his own opinions, his own whims. He doesn't do that. He wants to conform his mind and everything to the word of God. He, is, he has chosen this and he has placed it in front of him. We must do the same. We must do the same. Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's necessary to work out salvation He does not mean and say, work for your salvation, but work it out. It must be manifested, demonstrated, produced in your life. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is necessary for us to be determined to do so. So, Be resolved to do so. I have chosen, I have placed your ordinances before me. This is necessary to do with fear and trembling. Acknowledging the fact. We are dependent on the grace of God. Verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It will not do. It will not do to say, God saved me, and that's all. I'm just waiting on Him to change me more. I'm just waiting on Him. I'm just going to mosey on down the road. I'm going to do my own thing and wait for God to change me. And if He so chooses in the future, then He'll do it. The Bible never talks like that. The Bible never teaches that. That is false, wrong, pernicious, devilish. It does not comport with Scripture at all. We ought to say, like David, I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. This is the way we ought to live our Christian life. Living for the Word of God, before the Word of God, that we might know God and draw near to Him in truth. The next verse, he says in verse 31, I cleave to your testimonies, O Lord, do not put me to shame. I cleave to your testimonies. This term for cleave, he's mentioned it in verse 25 regarding the condition of his soul. His soul cleaves or is attached to the dust. And at the same time, he is now declaring that he has in his new nature, the new man, 
the new spirit within him, I cleave to your testimonies. Just as the old nature cleaves to death, the new nature cleaves to the word of life, your testimonies. And this term cleave, we find it first in the Bible in Genesis 2.24. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Just as husband and wife are attached, they cling to each other, they cleave to each other, there is no separation between them. This is what God has ordained. In that same way, spiritually speaking, our old nature cleaves to death, to the dust, but our new nature, verse 31, it cleaves to God's testimonies. We must cleave to them. Never separate from them. We read earlier, Matthew 13, 1-23, the parable of the sower and the seed and the soil. What was the problem with the first three kinds of ground or soil? What was the problem? They had access to the Word of God. They even declared certain soils, even declared or embraced it temporarily, but they did not bear fruit. They did not bear fruit to eternal life. They did not cleave to it. They did not cling to it. They didn't keep themselves attached to that Word permanently and forever. That's what they did not do. They did not cleave. Therefore, Jesus speaks of them as those who are lost. Because He said only the fourth soil produced fruit. Hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. The fourth did, but not the rest. And why? Because they did not cleave to the Word of Christ. Those who do not cleave to the Word of Christ will be put to shame on the Day of Judgment. Mark 8.38 Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of the Father with his holy angels. He said that, that he would be ashamed of us. This is what David knows. He knows that he does not want God to be ashamed of us. 1 John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. 2.28 And now, little children, abide in Him, remain in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of Him. Righteousness is the characteristic of those who have been born of God. We are not sinless and perfect, but we are characterized by righteousness, not wickedness. And verse 28, if we abide in Him, we won't shrink away from Him in shame when He comes. This too, we don't want shame. We want Christ to say, well done, good and faithful slave. And then verse 32. How zealously does he cleave? He explains in 32. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. He's going to run after it. He's not going to casually walk over there. He's not going to roll over there. He's not going to sit still. He's going to run. He's going to flee. He's fleeing away from sin, and he's going to flee to Christ and to the Word of Christ. I will run the way of your commandments. The way of Christ is so important to him. He knows his whole life depends on it. He's going to run in that direction. 
not moseying down the road, not walking, not limping, nothing like that. He's going to run in the way of Christ. This is the attitude we should have. We should be zealously doing this. We should not be casually doing this. Often, we think of the commandments of God and the obedience of God as things that are casual, temporary. Okay, once a week I will tolerate listening to a pastor preach for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or more. I'll do that once a week, but I don't want to hear this stuff in the Bible. I don't want that. I don't want that kind of zeal. You people who do that, you are fanatics. You're crazy. You're insane. Perhaps even demon-possessed. That's what they say. They said that of Jesus in John chapter 7. They said that he was crazy and demon-possessed in John 7 and 8. But no. Those who are sane, those who are sober, those who have true wisdom, run in the way of God's commandments. They know that their life depends on it. They run there zealously, not casually. They run there. To remind us that this, not, that this does not happen because of the strength of man, he says in verse 32, For you will enlarge my heart. When God enlarges the heart, this is another figure of speech, for God working inside us, in the inner man, the scripture says he circumcises the heart. It says he takes hearts of stone and makes them hearts of flesh. Or in this case, he enlarges the heart. He makes this new heart susceptible and tender and receptive to the words of God. He does that. When God first does that, he causes us to run. He causes us to run. So what should we do? Acknowledge that it, depend, it is dependent upon the grace of God and pray for the gracious God to give us His Spirit, give us His power, give us His wisdom, all that is right, true from Him and pursue it. Run after it. Know that it, it is dependent on Him to enlarge us. Ask for Him to enlarge us and then run in that direction. Run in the way of God's commandments. As we said earlier, many people will say that this is extreme, that this is fanatical, and that we should not have this kind of view of the Word of God. They may even call us bibliolaters. That is, we consider the Bible as an idol. However, there is no way to make sense of these words and the many other words that we have cited from Scripture, especially from the words and the lips of Jesus Himself. There is no way to make sense of them unless we are practicing and believing as we have just spoken. This is the way of the Christian life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.